Guardian Unlimited. And welcome to Islamophonic, the Guardian's weekly podcast on Muslim life in Britain. We've had some lovely comments on our page, like this one. Personally, as a white English guy, I find it interesting to learn something objective about Muslim culture and what it's really like for Muslims to live in contemporary Britain. I'm sorry it's so bloody difficult. Thanks for your support and keep those comments coming in. Speaking of support, it's not too late to show yours for Guardian Unlimited podcast by voting for us in the Webbies. They're like the Oscars, but without the Botox and goodie bags, but they're just as special. To show us your love, visit blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash podcasts and follow the links. Phew, that's enough from me. So let's say hello to my studio guest, Zahid Amanullah from the leading Muslim website, altmuslim.com, and Mohammed Imran, the CEO from the very, very important Muslim Youth Helpline. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Britain's burgeoning shisha bar culture is under threat. Smoke-free legislation, which kicks in on July 1st, bans smoking in all public places. For the time being anyway, bars and cafes serving shisha or hookah pipes are not exempt. So, no more hubbly-bubbly. Guys, are you partial to the pipe, Mohammed? Um, I haven't Ever actually... Ever had a hookah? Um, I have actually once or twice, but I'm not really a great fan of it. Friends that are... My friends all love the shisha, yeah, and I have to go along with them every few weeks. What about you, Zayed? Um, I, like Mohammed, I've tried it a few times, but uh, my experience was very different. When I, when I was going to university in San Francisco, it was a big thing among sort of white liberals. Uh, it wasn't a Muslim scene at all, so I was actually going along with a different crowd. Um, but uh, no, it wasn't something I really caught on to, but, um, but I found it interesting. Well, shisha pipes have been around for centuries, starting in India and then spreading through the Middle East and parts of Africa. In this country, smoking shisha pipes has become an acceptable pastime for young Muslims, drawing together people of all races and ages. But this could all go up in smoke from the summer. Ah, the smell of grilled meat mixed with the sweet, fruity fumes of tobacco. I'm here on Edgware Road. It's a slice of the Middle East in London. Along this vast neon strip, we have restaurants, speciality shops, supermarkets, and a lot of the places, a lot of cafes and restaurants I've seen, they've been offering shisha pipes. Tonight, I'm going to be spending my evening in Palms Palace, and I'm here with Ibrahim El Noor. He's the chair of the Edgware Road Association. Assalamu alaikum, Ibrahim. Ahlen, how are you? Nice of you to come and see us. Before we go into Palms Palace, I'm just standing outside. It's really busy for a Thursday evening. Does it get busier over the weekend? It does. On uh, Friday night, Saturday night, we usually expect about between 70,000 to 80,000 people around here. And that's increased around eight. And really, mainly, the average age is about 19, 20 years old. If you look around Palm Palace, you'll see a lot of middle-aged guys. And people here feel quite safe. Great. Let's go and have a look inside. Right. Come in. The first thing I notice walking in here is the variety of people. We've got groups of women, you've got old men smoking on their own, very lively, Moroccan lanterns hanging from the ceiling, low seating, lots of cushions. Let's go and find out why they come here. It's a non-drinking uh, shisha bar, so you can come with your friends and enjoy your, uh, your time instead of going to a bar which uh, you're not allowed to. Yeah. It's like a daily routine, I mean, 
it's not just coming, sitting, having coffee and then going. You actually sit for an hour, two hours. Well, it's a gathering place. We get together and we chat and socializing together. I feel relaxed when I smoke it. How often would you come out for a shisha? Four or five times a week. Say, uh, usually over the weekend, maybe Sunday night. I have shisha like about five times a week. Every day. Every day? And how many pipes will you smoke in one, an evening? One. One pipe an evening? I know it's sad, but uh, I have shisha by myself sometimes. Ibrahim, yeah. thanks for bringing us to Palm's Palace. Would you say this is a fairly typical shisha bar? It, it is. Mainly people here really come for the smoke and for socialising. This could all change, though, the ambiance, the lighting, the mood, the shisha, as of July the 1st. Which is really a sad and, and horrifying prospect, but we're still fighting. What's the worst-case scenario under the smoking ban? Are they all going to shut immediately? Well, this place particularly will shut, because about nearly 90% of the income is from the shisha. Now, this place is a coffee shop, and without the shisha... Nobody will come here because it has to compete with the like of the Coffee Republic Starbucks and, and Starbucks and, and the Nero. others. Um, but, the, but the issue with this road in particular, we have extremely high rent and very high business rate. And those combined together, plus the overhead, you're looking over £100,000 a year. Lots of people also borrowed money to have these nice fixtures, like in this place. And they're still in debt because they, they pay a high premium to get a place like this. And also they invest a lot of money making it nice. So how much money would you spend in a place like this? It's a maximum of £10. £10 a day. £10 a day, so that's £50 a week. £50 a week is like 200 a month, minimum. Let's talk numbers for a second. You said that 90% of Palm's Palace business was from shisha. How much money does this place make? Well, How much it's, money it's does very the difficult. average shisha bar the make? The average shisha bar, uh, I think on a Friday night, the taking will be anything between four to £5,000. How much of that money will be from shisha? I think most of it would be. If you see about four or five um, uh, girls or boys uh, together as a group, they, all, they only order one shisha. And between them, they order a pot of a mint tea, which is about, say, three pounds, and a shisha between five people. They spend about three or four hours yapping away and talking and chatting and, and discussing politics. It does provide that environment, and it's a very cheap environment for them. There is tobacco in shisha. How much tobacco? You're nodding. Well, it is. I think um, on the package, if you read it, you'll find between 5 to 10% tobacco in the mix. The mix have tobacco in it, but it's have a fruit peel. So you can have, just like the old fruit tea we used to have. So what flavour tobacco are you smoking tonight? It's the uh, apple flavour. Yeah, the apple. What's so good about the apple flavour? I don't know. It's a special. <laughs> uh, mint shisha. Not apple? Uh, yeah, no. I had apple yet last night. In my opinion, I like the grapes. Grape. Grapes and apple. We spoke to a guy upstairs and he said he was addicted to shisha. Yeah. So you can be addicted to shisha. I think what people are addicted to is the socialising aspect of it. The problem with shisha, I think it's worse than cigarettes. So why are you smoking it? Because I'm addicted. Okay. Surely encouraging a culture of smoking is bad, it's unhealthy, it's irresponsible. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of things we do in our life actually are bad. But I think we have to, 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 um, to, to give up a little bit or accept a little badness to buy a bigger happiness. I mean, obviously, these restaurants and the shops and supermarkets, they bring tremendous character to the area. It's, it's this telling of the diversity of London.
and you will look across and you'll see really all sections that make London and Britain today is really in Edgeware Road. So this is, I think, something that maybe the Muslim communities and the Middle Eastern communities can offer and share with other sections of the community without being labelled. I've been smelling the sweet smell of apple tobacco all night and it's finally gone to my head, so I am going to order a pipe. I've never smoked one before, so I'm a bit worried about it, but everyone else seems to be doing it. So, when in Rome? Um, can I order a pipe, please? Okay, so a very nice man has just bought me a shisha pipe. It's about the size of my three-year-old nephew, and it's got a bit of tin foil on the top. Is it ready to go? And you can smoke. Start and now smoking. I start smoking. Yeah. Start. It tastes like jam. What will you do when the smoking ban comes in? I mean, these places will still be open, but we don't know for how long. I, I think that it's a little unfair. It's, it's, I think it's very different. Shishas, I mean, although, of course, it's smoking and it involves tobacco, people are imposing the fact that they're smoking and that they're affecting someone else's health. But if you are going to a shisha bar, by virtue of the fact that you're going there, you are saying that you want to be around, you want to be in that environment. What's going to happen next? Um, our next step is to um, officially write to the government and put all of these points there's a lot of interest now shown from MPs and peers. We need to explain to the government and to the health ministers the aspect of the culture and the impact in our communities. But I think we're also considering legal advice and trying to see if we can challenge the legislation through a judicial review. And we're considering um, all of these options. I mean, it's going to be very hard on us. Literally, I don't think we'll be spending more time with each other. It will be less socializing, otherwise we have to gather at one person's home and um, smoke the shisha. We cannot live without it. Sahid, lots of food for thought there. Is it a sad and horrifying prospect that the shisha bars might have to close down? Well, it, it might be. I mean, the thing is, you have to look at it this way. I mean, uh, shisha smoking, you know, whatever people might think of it, might be considered one of the few, you know, quote, vices that a lot of Muslim youth and Arab youth feel that they can do that's not maybe explicitly forbidden, uh, even though it may be unwise. Um, and there might be a, a drawback from having a 100% ban. I mean, when, when I was in, in California, when they had a similar ban, they had loopholes where you could do it outside, mm-hmm. where you could do it in a ventilated room, mm-hmm. where the, if the owner-occupier of the business was the only one there, uh, they could allow it to happen because they weren't endangering other staff, because there weren't any other staff, things like that. So maybe there is a middle ground that can be reached. And you could still you know, offer health advice and things like that you know, if, about the health aspects. But the thing is, you know, if the product is illegal and the use of it is not, then you're always going to have these problems where people are going to try to find ways to do it. Mohammed, do you think Ibrahim El Noor stands a chance? I mean, tobacco is tobacco. It's not like you're having a cup of tea. I agree with you there. I think that, however, he probably needs to reevaluate. I mean, in terms of like long-term growth and development of the Muslim community as well, I think that it's perhaps um, a stopgap measure. It's, it's effectively enriching British culture with the Arab culture as well. I mean, however, there are health risks that, that are very real as well. Some of those people that were talking about very, very melodramatically about how their social life is going to end, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, we, we evolve as a community, and um, one, one of the things that was mentioned very early on is the fact that it was, it was a safe space without alcohol, and I think that's really the focus. Well, pretty much everyone we spoke to at Palms Palace was Muslim, and we were told that in the Egyptian shisha bar opposite, the customer base was about 95% Muslim too. So you'd think Muslims everywhere would be campaigning to save our shisha bars, but you'd be wrong. Cultural commentator and journalist Hamza Bajwa hates them. I asked him why. It's Islamically impermissible, both the instrument as well as the environment. 
And number two, it's unhealthy. And um, obviously the second is related to the first. Um, I would say that is unhealthy and therefore it is forbidden. I mean, this is based upon the principle in Islam that all that is forbidden has greater harm in it than good and vice versa. And uh, my understanding is that those who attempt to argue otherwise do so as an exercise in futility. You know, it's a foolhardy argument. Those Muslims who make money through haram means should understand that the money that they make is in itself haram. Therefore, I would say that they should um, fear their Lord and think seriously about how they make uh, their income. Making money at the expense of people's health is something which is uh, immoral. What do you mean by the environment in which these pipes are smoked? Well, all you do is go down to uh, where there's a shisha bar and you'll find that there are Muslims, male and females, interacting, talking and laughing. And this is something... Islamically, is, uh, they need to seriously think about because um, this type of free mixing is, of course, forbidden in Islam. Not only are they smoking something which is unhealthy for them, you know, there's evidence to suggest that passing over water pipes to your friends can also uh, cause the spread of infections. In July 15th of 2005, Medscape published an article uh, suggesting that the water pipe smoking, the WPS, was emerging as a significant health risk. Uh, because of risks commonly associated with tobacco as well as infections from pipe-sharing, according to a review published by the July issue of uh, Pediatric. What about the argument that um, if young Muslims don't have shisha bars to hang out in, they'll turn to hard drugs and crime and extremism? I mean, absolutely ridiculous you know, proposition made by some of these people. Are we saying that the health of the children, the addiction, and also the clear evidence that suggests and proves, rather, that shisha is associated with cancer and ver various other respiratory diseases, are we saying that that is less important than these people's social outlook on life? I mean, you know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Do you agree that um, under the smoking ban, though, that some of these business will shut down eventually and that this will have an impact culturally on some communities anyway, the countries where shisha pipe smoking is popular, the Middle Eastern countries, for example? If it leads to the betterment of a person's health, then so be it. What could you suggest as a Muslim social alternative after July the 1st? I mean, there's 101 things that they could do. As a nation, we're becoming more and more aware of our health. The alternative to the Friday night binge drinking, or in this case, binge smoking, you could go down to your local health shop and have a nice smoothie or something. You know, there's, a, there's 101 things that they could do. Zahid, you are rolling your eyes and shaking your head. What could you possibly have to say about that? Is it un-Islamic? Well, I think we have to be very careful about when we say things are haram. I mean, there's a very s strong principle about uh, that things are permissible unless they're explicitly forbidden. And uh, now, shisha may be unwise, and I certainly agree with that. But we have, you know, this is starting to sound like Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign in the U.S. in the 1980s. It's not going to resolve the issue just to say that you shouldn't do it. Okay. Um, it, there's a social and cultural context through which this is coming about. And you just can't eliminate it and think that people will go and find a healthy alternative. Mm. You have to think about it more broadly and more openly mm -hmm. and more honestly. Um, and, and this should be done through with youth, not talking at them, but talking with them and to them and, and seeing what their real motivations are. What about the free mixing element? Element. Well, you know, uh, uh, we're mixing we, we, we have, yeah, we have, you know, we have modesty, you know, rules in Islam. 
for a reason, and that's you know so people can interact with within a, a, a you know realm of modesty. Our young society will collapse if you try to segregate segregate the sexes in such a way. Mohammed Ibrahim said that young people would fall into hard drugs and drink if they couldn't have their pipe and smoke it. Would you agree with that? I don't think that's the case necessarily. I mean, I think if you look at young Muslims today, I mean, like, so many of them have play football matches. So many of the, so many of them are volunteering, are travelling. I mean, most young Muslims are already doing things in terms of being socially expressive, etc. as well. Um, I don't think that if you then take away shisha, place, shisha places from them, that they will then you know, go down the path of, of hard drugs. It's about promoting the debate for um, open and safe spaces for young Muslims to engage in. Um. I mean, you spend a lot of time listening to what young people have to say. I mean, you're the CEO of the Muslim Youth Helpline. Is there an issue about socialising? I think there is, definitely. I mean, just the point that, um, that, the, that the brother made about... Um, Free mixing. I think that's such a. I mean, it really kind of it really pains me when when people say that. I mean, for example, if you look at the shisha bar culture in in the Middle East, I've spent some time in, in Iran in in Syria. It's a place for families to hang out. It's mm. a place for you know old men to go and and, and have an after about about the day. I mean, free mixing is such a topic which is abused by some members of the community. You know, psychologically, that there's a lot of guilt which arises in young Muslims as well. And so we're seeing this. You know, we're seeing that children live schizophrenic lives. They have like um, a, a public persona and then a private persona. And I think that that's really a, at the heart of, of the issue as well. And so we need to promote active, open, shared spaces um, that we're comfortable with and that everyone, everyone promotes as well. I mean, whether there's shish there or not, I think is irrelevant, to be honest. OK, let's talk about the social scenes when you were growing up. Zahid, you've had a very interesting life. You grew up in the States. What was that like? Was there a social scene there? There was. I mean, the thing is, the Muslim community in the States is from many different backgrounds. So a lot of times when Muslims get together, they're, they're discovering as much about each other as they are about the context in which they live. So for my growing up, I went to a very sort of multicultural mosque where um, no one culture dominated. And I found that to be very open-minded. We shared each other's cultures and in social activities as we were growing up, and it was, I found it very, very enlightening. Mohammed, how about you? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in, uh, in, in the sunny town of Huddersfield <laughs> in the north of England, um, the, the heartland of this country. My upbringing was interesting in that growing up in the 80s and 90s in Huddersfield, I mean, I was, I was an Asian child. I happened to be Muslim, and I mm. think you know, you know, being Muslim has become politicized really in, 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 the, 20, in the 21st century. Mm. And prior to that, so you know, we, we would just you know, hang out, you know, you'd have a mess about you know, on the fields, playing football, um, in terms of being a Muslim, it was just, you know, you go to the mosque on Fridays, you know, yeah. you, you go to class every every day as well, and that's your, they're your Muslim friends. Yeah. But it, it's a part of kind of in the history of a lot of, con- a lot of people in this country where mm. their lives are very segregated in the sense that, you know, you have your public persona at school, you know, mm. with your friends, etc., you know, Muslim and non-Muslim, and then, you know, your, your, your home life and your mosque life where mm. you're a Muslim, and, and, and um, that's how you then present yourself. Well, I grew up in Southampton, and just to share the experience of growing up in a town where not much happens, not much happens. Um, Sahid, what's the answer? Can you think of a solution to this shared, open, safe space that everyone keeps referring to? Um, well, I was thinking back about when I was a teenager, and I, was, I went to a mosque where um, they uh, allowed the youth to get together and to plan social activities, I think with the caveat that they had a, an adult chaperone. And this actually wasn't just maybe your conventional activities. It was things like ski trips, beach trips going to amusement parks. Is your mosque still there? Can I it go? Is. It is. <laughs> I want to go on a beach trip. It's, it's a very prominent mosque in Los Angeles. Uh, it's probably the most prominent one there. Mm. Uh, uh, that level of freedom, I think, changed the attitude of youth that I grew up with in terms of saying you know, that social activities were something that were not to be done on a separate level, like, a, you, know, like you were mentioning the schizophrenic lives that people lead. And it was something that could be done with your Muslim friends in a safe, in a safe space. In, in this country, pub culture is 
is seen as a very predominant social activity. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not necessarily the case. I think even when you talk to non-Muslim English friends, there's plenty of other alternatives to mm. the pub, whether it's going to the park and watching a music concert or going to uh, cultural events. And there's so many cultural events in the city. There's plenty of things to do. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking of um, was a place called Arum. Was it was in Clerkenwell, um, which is sort of on the borders of the city of London. But it was a it was a sh- it was a safe shared space. It was uh, dry, so there was no alcohol served. All the food was halal. Um, they had prayer facilities and separate washing facilities for men and women. But it was open to all comers, and they hosted poetry readings and debates and talks. and And it was really really popular. It got lots of positive press. And then I have no idea what happened to it. My my inkling is that. I'm not sure if it was localized enough. I mean, again, I, I don't know much about Arun, but I'm not sure if it kind of if it really represented the Muslim community's kind of interests. As mm. sometimes, sometimes we can be too too progressive and too too advanced for our own good. Ah, oh, right. And so, I mean, like poetry readings, are we really there? Are we really ready? <laughs> are we ready to have those kind of? Um, uh, you know, I mean, perhaps we perhaps we need to, need to evolve locally, and then I mean, who, who knows what the what the Muslim scene of the future will be. Now, we set our guests some homework. Come up with three things for Muslims to do. So, to answer the question, how can you be a Muslim and still have fun, we start with Mohammed. I think that there are three areas that, that, that they can um, utilise to have fun. I mean, they, they can express themselves and, and have fun in that way. They can, they can do things and be active and, and, and have fun that way. And they can also just sit down and talk and have fun. Just volunteering, getting active in sports... Again, it's, it's, it's really at the, at the heart of their faith as well, about being active in the community's uh, social activism and also expressing themselves as well. I mean, in, I remember I mean, growing up in Huddersfield, there's a, there's a group called the Asian Theatre School in Leeds. I'm not sure if it's still running, but it was about young Muslims and, and, and Asians just kind of getting involved in, in amateur dramatics. Zahid? Yeah, um, I would, I would uh, echo that, but I'll, I would also say push your creative boundaries. I mean, there are things that I think we, we think of in our creative context that limits us a little bit. And I would say try to push beyond the boundaries and and look beyond even your culture and your background and see if there's things that interest you that you may not have considered before. I mean, food, cooking, culture. We just did a story on a, a Muslim country artist in the United States who's become who's starting to become quite successful. And you look at that and you think, wow, why didn't I think about it? It's actually quite compatible even from an Islamic point of view. And it's not something that I would have considered otherwise. I think there's plenty of things you can do if you put your mind to it. Well, Jazakallah for those suggestions and for coming into our studio. Hope you've enjoyed the show. You can now listen to all our podcasts on guardian.co.uk forward slash Islamophonic. And why not share your favourite things to do on our blog? Next week, this is a real treat, we've got Hizbut Tahrir coming in to talk about their solution for Iraq. Yes, that's right. Hizbut Tahrir at The Guardian. So let us know what you think, either about Hizbut or about Iraq by emailing podcasts at guardian.co.uk or leaving a comment on our page. That was Islamophonic. It was produced by Francesca Panetta and presented by me, Riaz Atbat. Until next week, thanks for listening and walaikum assalam. Guardian Unlimited.